Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight we'll be study number 14 of Revelation chapter 1. And we're currently reading verse 4 of chapter 1, where it says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And we spent a little time looking at the seven churches which are in Asia, and now we're going to move on to the next statement. Grace be unto you and peace. And this um, is actually a fairly common introduction in the New Testament in some of the epistles. For instance, we read in Romans chapter 1, in verse 7, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, grace and peace to you. Also, in 1 Corinthians 1, this is the only other one we'll look at. We could give other examples, but 1 Corinthians 1, verse 3 Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a common desire from the child of God towards others. We would want and wish that grace might be theirs, that the peace of God might be theirs. Why? Well, because the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace are ye saved. And so to express the desire towards someone, grace be unto you, is really stating the desire that they might be saved. And this is the desire of the child of God towards all. We would that God might extend his grace and, and bestow it upon all that we know. And this is one of the reasons why we share the gospel. We shared it during the day of salvation that the Lord might bless his word and bestow grace that would save his elect. And we share it now that individuals will be blessed by his grace, that those that God has chosen to become saved might hear truth from his word and they might live as individuals chosen by his grace. And we also desire that peace be unto you, the peace of God, and that peace which passes understanding. And what is that peace? Well, the Bible tells us also in Ephesians, in chapter 2, verse 14, For he is our peace, who has made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. In other words, the law of God which condemns us, the Lord Jesus took upon himself our sins, and suffered the wrath of an angry God, the condemnation of the law of God for our sakes on our behalf and paid the penalty in full. And now there is no more enmity, no more 
a jealous husband, no more angry God, no more law to pronounce the condemnation, because there is no more record of transgressions. All of our transgressions have been blotted out. We are clean in God's sight. It is as though we have never sinned. We have as our own the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and his purity and that white robe that covers us And so we have peace with God. There is no longer any spiritual warfare raging. We are in harmony with him due to what Christ has done for us. And this also is what we would desire for others, for our family members, for our friends, our neighbors, for our co-workers, for strangers, for our enemies. We would desire that they also know this peace. Well, uh, continuing in Revelation 1, verse 4, Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. That is, this grace and peace, it's not something that exists by itself. People often wish others well and speak good words to them. May God bless you, or some say God bless you. And yet blessing does not reside in them. They have no ability to grant God's blessing to anyone. Only God can. And we can't impart grace. We can't give the peace of God to anyone. We can share the word of God through that. If it be God's perfect will, if that person that we are sharing with is one of those predestinated to receive it before the foundation of the world, if their name happens to be, and and it would only happen to be, by the decisive will of God as he determined to save them, if that name happens to be recorded in the Lamb's book of life, then grace and peace will be theirs. And it will come from not a vacuum, not from nothing, but from a person, a being, the creator, the God of the Bible, the one who is and was and will be. And this description of God, grace and peace from him, which is and which was and which is to come, is really a beautiful description of the eternal, infinite God that we read of in the Bible. The God of the Bible is not the God that uh, other religions speak of. The God of the Bible is not the God that other Gospels declare. The God of the Bible is the one true God, and he exists and has his being and reveals himself only, um, of course, he exists everywhere and is omnipresent and all-powerful, but he reveals himself through the scriptures, the word of God, and this God is the God of the Christian, the God that the child of God worships, the one that has bestowed grace and mercy upon us, that has saved us, and granted us eternal life. And how could he grant us eternal life 
if he himself were not eternal? How could he know that we would live forevermore unless he himself could know absolutely without the slightest bit of doubt that we will be with him forever and ever without end? And he does know this. So he promises his people eternal life. It's not a wish. It's not a hope. It's not if everything falls just right. If things go according to plan, then, yes, uh, there's a good chance you'll have eternal life. No, God grants eternal life to all that he saves. And he assures us with an oath that the promises of his word are true and faithful. He does not lie. He knows that we will live forever because he knows everything that will take place in the whole spectrum of existence. I know that's an incredible thing, especially to us mere mortals, us finite beings. We're we're very temporal and limited in our human nature. We don't know everything that transpired this very day. We can't tell you all of our thoughts of the last week. Yet God is far above us and his thoughts are extremely higher than our thoughts and his ways than our ways. And and so we ought not to place any of our limitations on him. We should not limit the Holy One of Israel, the Bible warns. And the Bible indicates he has no limits. He is the one which is. Notice how God begins there, not in the past, but he begins in the present, in this moment. That is, he is a very present help in time of trouble. Psalm 46, 1 tells us, God wants us to know he's not a God of old and a God of the future only. He is a God for now and today, a God for the present moment, a God at hand and nearby, a God that hears prayers, a God that can answer them, a God that can protect us and fight against our enemies, a God that can comfort us and strengthen us by his spirit in our inner man in order that we can endure hardships and the difficulties that we might be going through in this life. God is. This is what the Bible tells us. Some mistakenly think or fail to understand this. We read in the book of Exodus, when Moses was learning about the true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Lord revealed himself to him at the burning bush. It says in Exodus 3, in verse 2, And the angel of Jehovah appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when Jehovah saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush, and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. 
Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. God was speaking to Moses, and he revealed to him that he is the God of the ancestors of Moses, the men of faith that Moses certainly had heard of, the the ones that God began the nation of Israel with, the people of God. And Moses was meeting God. Oh, let's see, this would be around 1447 B.C. Abraham lived, uh, he was born in 2167 B.C., over 700 years earlier. And God is saying, I am the God of thy father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who lived in the days of those men is the one presently speaking to you, Moses. And then we read a little further on in verse 13 of the same chapter, Exodus 3. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. What a glorious name for God. Why did God reveal himself as I am? Because he is the ever-existent one. He has always been and always is and always will be. There has never been a time when God was not. You can travel the whole history of this world, this short little time span of a little over 13,000 years, and you'll never find a moment when God was not. God has always been, we read in the Bible, from the beginning of the creation of this world. And he's been throughout its history. As we read the history of the Bible, God shows up again and again. And he is at the end of the history of the world. As we also read in the Bible, God reveals himself at the end of the world. And yet that is nothing. That's nothing. It's amazing to us. It's incredible that a being has lived and existed without change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He, he changes not, saith the Lord. And that is amazing to us. And God knows everything that has transpired in all time past of this world Everything happening today in the minds of over 7 billion people that has ever happened in the minds who have ever lived upon the face of the earth. And he knows all that will happen in the few short days of time remaining. All this information concerning all things to this creation is an enormous amount of data, an enormous amount of information that it would take who knows how many multitude upon multitude of computers to store. And yet 
This is nothing to God. This is only the space of a, a momentary creation, which he will soon do away with. Yet beyond this creation lies eternity, eternity which has already been from eternity past and which stretches into the future forevermore. That is the realm of the kingdom of heaven. That is the realm in which God reigns and rules over all, infinite in his being. And he knows all that has occurred in all of eternity past and all that will take place in all eternity to come and everything in between. Now, compare that to the knowledge of this short little creation of over 13,000 years, and we see this is nothing more than a, a speck of information in that infinite and brilliant mind of God, the great God of the Bible. We can't help but stand in awe. The word awe and awesome really ought to be reserved only for God. Certainly it does not apply to any man, to any thousands of men, as they pale in any sort of comparison to the tremendous God of the Scriptures. And when we just look at his capacity for knowledge and that infinite, brilliant mind of God who wrote the Bible, and the Bible records the thoughts of God as we have Bibles in our possession, we have the mind of Christ, it says in 1 Corinthians 2. No wonder no one has ever plumbed its depths. No wonder there are such mysteries recorded in God's word that after thousands of years of having this book, we're still searching and digging into it, trying to understand truth. And yet this is the God that we are coming to know through his word. And he is the God who is. Yes, he is present now at this point. He is in heaven upon his throne ruling. And he grants us little tiny uh, creatures made in his image, yes, but what are we but specks of dust with feet of clay? We're, we're one of countless numbers of his creation. Yet unlike any other of these creatures, none other, as far as we read in the Bible certainly, are made in his image. And so we have a special place in the eyes of God. And he permits us little tiny finite creatures we who are nothing more than ants or gnats or or the smallest speck that you could imagine in comparison to the great god he permits us to approach unto him and to beseech him and to cry out to him and to pray to him whatever might be ailing us whatever is troubling our hearts if we are anxious for anything, he tells us, come to me. And if all of God's people, all 100 million or 150 or 190 million alive upon the earth today, we don't know the exact number, but if they all, with one accord, would turn to him in the same instant 
and they would cry to him. He would hear the prayer of each and every one of them in an intimate way, in a personal way. What sort of God is this that can know such things, that can deal with such numbers as though we are just one individual and there is no other that can speak so personally to us and know us so well? What kind of awesome, almighty God is this that the Bible reveals? And the truth is, His greatness and the glory of His being is beyond our ability to comprehend. He is far too wonderful and majestic and glorious for us to understand. All we know, we can know the words of the Bible, We can know the language of the Bible, but certainly we cannot grasp it. We cannot grab a hold of even his eternal nature that he has always been, let let alone always will be, just to think of his past existence, that it is without end, as we read in the Gospel of John in chapter 8 and verse 58 this statement Jesus said unto them verily verily I say unto you before Abraham was I am that is long ago before Abraham God was the same God he was ever present then with Abraham he was ever present with Moses and he is ever present with you and I today the great I am before Abraham was Before he was conceived in his mother's womb, I am. Before Adam and Eve, God could make the same statement. I am. Before this world was created, I am. And go back in your mind's eye for as far and as deep and for as long as our little tiny minds can carry us. All we can picture without this world and universe I don't know. We don't get much of a picture. What was there? Well, God certainly uh, was not idle and would have been busy as he warns against laziness and, and idleness and not occupying. And we can be absolutely certain God has not been unoccupied in all eternity past, but very occupied in work. And what is his work? Well, six days he worked to create, and the seventh day he rested. So work to God is creation. That's one of the things that the Bible identifies as his work. And certainly he would have been working in creating other creations apart from this, outside of the realm of this, principalities and um, dignities that we know nothing of, and yet We'll learn of them, certainly, in time to come or in things to come. But when we look into the past, what can we see but the Almighty God? That's all. All we know is what God tells us, and he doesn't reveal much to us. He tells us in Psalm 90, in verses 1 and 2, Jehovah, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations, before the mountains were brought forth. Wherever thou hast formed the earth and the world, 
even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And in Psalm 93, it says in verses 1 and 2, Jehovah reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. Jehovah is clothed with strength, wherewith he has girded himself. The world also is established that it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. God, the ever-present, the eternal existent one, the being who is always, has always been there and is always here now and always will be. Man will not defeat God. God is certainly victorious over the rebellious creature over the rebellion of Satan, the fallen angel. God is the one who triumphs and who reigns supreme forevermore. We read in Isaiah 57, in verse 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. Think about that. The high and lofty one, the great God of the Word of God, the Bible. And where does he dwell? The word inhabit can be translated as dwell. Where does God dwell? He dwells in eternity. He inhabits eternity. Like you and I dwell in our home, and we inhabit our home. Except, of course, when we dwell in our home and we're on the first floor, we are not on the second floor. And if we're on the second floor, we're not in the basement. That's not true of God. He is ever present, everywhere present. He inhabits or dwells in the whole spectrum of existence all eternity. You cannot go to a place or a point in eternity past and find where God has not been. And you cannot go to a point into eternity future and find a point where God is not. He always is. He is the great I am. And this is the enormous. And the um, I'm, I'm running out of adjectives. They're, they're just not sufficient to describe this God that the Bible reveals to us as the Lord Jesus Christ. 